Hello and welcome. You are with Michael and we are, of course, with City Watch on the air. The segment this time is including, of course, our own Chris Jackson, who is head of Lion Share Partners. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining us on City Watch. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. What Chris is going to do is give us his take on the next quarter coming up on us. And I want to talk to him about a couple of things uh, that have caught my attention uh, during the last uh, few months. But first, uh, I give you Chris Jackson and Lion Share. What's going on, Chris? Well, it's, before we get into the second quarter, we must mention that it's been quite a first quarter. I mean, the last time we spoke, we were coming off of, uh, of the, the downturn we saw in the fourth quarter when the market when it was nearly down 14%, which is ranked as the you know, 10th worst performing quarter since 1950, um, where everything was bad in 2018, everything but cash. And then it fired back the first quarter with the S&P 500 being up about 13%, which is the best since 1998 and the seventh best first quarter since 1950. So a complete reversal and a huge trampoline effect we've seen from those two quarters. Um, you know, and of, of the first of the 10 first quarters where the S&P 500 has increased over 10 percent, only one in 1987 uh, has finished lower for the year. And, and the annual, annual change for the S&P 500 when the index goes up more than 10 percent in the first quarter averages about 20 percent. So it's shaping up to be a pretty good year. Um, and, and, and broadly speaking, I just want to, the most important thing to, to recognize is that the fate of the economy or the, of the market cycle is not preordained. Uh, I keep hearing uh, pundits claim that the market is going to is, is going to crash tomorrow or we're already in a recession. You know, how do they know? Uh, the market is going into its 11th year uh, in, in March, and, and there seems to be no limit to it. Uh, the way the economy has changed and the way different behaviors are being uh, produced from central bankers, uh, it's tough to really, you know, to determine um, these, 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 you know, highly connected financial institutions uh, with certain, with absolute certainty that you can walk into a, a, a radio broadcast and say, hey, you know, make take this action because I know for a fact that, you know, that we're going to have a recession next week, the market's going to close, it's going to crash next week. Um, where we are at the start of the second quarter, um, you know, there's five questions to address, really. Um, first one being, is the U.S. economic growth just slowing down or actually stalling out toward, you know, toward a recession? And and we know we're going to decelerate from the you know 3% year over year we got in the fourth quarter last year. Um, you know, the economists expect the GDP to come down about 2% for the first half of 2019, um, which will push GDP from 3% down to 2%. Following concerns will be, you know, what the Federal Reserve next move will likely be to move rates up or down. Are we in a proper recession? Will the global economy actually re revive at some state this year? Um, and what are the biggest risks, um, which I highlighted one of them being trade. You know, U.S. only exports 8% of its share of GDP, a lot less than others. So trade tensions affect other countries a lot more than it affects the U.S. Um, though we do get affected indirectly, for example, as you heard last week, the price of avocados um, in, in being imported from Mexico spiked 34% last Tuesday. And the, the biggest one-day jump in a decade, and it's contributed to uh, the president's uh, threat to close all ports, all parts of the border last week. Um, the U.S. gets 90% of its $2 billion worth of avocado imports from Mexico. So uh, as, a, as an avocado fan myself, that, that did be interest. One of the things that 
crossed my mind, and again, I, I wanted to cover this more after the first break, but the trade situation does seem to have the, the markets in a bit of a, of a tailspin, especially with regard to what you just mentioned, the fact that uh, the president has been mentioning uh, closing the borders, keeping them open, uh, and of course the announcement uh, as we went to uh, to show today saying that he's going to give a kind of a year moratorium on all this to see uh, what Mexico is going to do. And uh, I'm thinking if you're the markets, you've got to be, you know, turning somersaults, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost impossible um, for if for capital allocators, especially those trying to make investments overseas, um, to try to ascertain what is the current trade policy uh, for the U.S. Mm. Um, because, you know, trade and manufacturing um, aren't really big producers of GDP for the U.S. as they are for, for other, other countries. Chris, let me do this. Let me go to break here. They're, they're, they're signaling me here. So let me go to break. We'll come back, and then we'll uh, cover this a bit more, okay? You got it. Great. We'll be right back after this. CityWatch on the Air, heard locally and worldwide on iHeartRadio.com, takes you through the ins and outs of business, exactly what your business needs to showcase your product or service. And we can do it for as little as $10 a week. If you don't believe me, text Prove It to 310-291-2790. That's Prove It to 310-291-2790. Okay, this is Michael, and we are back with uh, Chris Jackson here on City Watch on the Air. Chris, before we went to break, we were talking about what's happening with the uh, the trade, especially with regard to uh, Mexico and what the markets, both nationally and internationally, are are doing with this information. The, the trade policy tends to have an oversized effect on foreign countries than it does in the U.S. since it only has 8% of its GDP dedicated to export. But these huge um, spikes uh, that we saw in, in the avocado import due to just the threat of shutting down a market can have outsized effects to other, other economies. So those are investors trying to allocate capital overseas um, it's one thing to say, hey, the valuations are attractive, because they really are. When you look at the percentage of market capitalization for uh, foreign uh, companies relative to the U.S. companies, uh, there is a very favorable gap, uh, which means it means that it's a pretty good opportunity to invest in, in some foreign countries. But the instability in their economy due to the global slowdown and due, due to trade tension makes it hard to allocate capital. Um, not to mention that as the U.S. dollar uh, picked up earlier this year, uh, it makes it harder to uh, export those profits back into the U.S. Now, for those people that have interest and major concerns and investments in places like, uh, say, Guatemala and Mexico, of course, and some of the other Southern American countries, are they in a situation now where they have to reevaluate their portfolios in light of especially this, this year's moratorium and see exactly where they stand? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult for any, I would say, retail investor to be able to take the uh, global market as a whole and the rank them in terms of what is attractive, what makes sense in terms of valuation, what makes sense in terms of growth and prospects. Um, you, you're almost better off utilizing uh, low-cost uh, index funds that, that tap into uh, developed markets, uh, frontier markets, emerging markets, uh, and have that as part of your overall asset allocation. Uh, but to highlight, you know, you know what's going on in Venezuela uh, relative to what's going on, uh, to your point, to Guatemala, Mexico, 
Um, those are decisions that the average America should be trying to be making. Uh, there's binary decisions of this country or that country. It's more whether the global portfolio, uh, which is part of about 55% equities, uh, 45% fixed income, um, and what should their makeup be based on what they're trying to do uh, going forward. Because at the end of the day, if, you're, if the market is shaking up and your portfolio is a result uh, uh, volatile to that, I want you to be comfortable with the allocation prior to those moves in the market. Therefore, you can see it through and maintain that strategy and not have poor behavior biases that can take you out of a pretty, a pretty reasonable portfolio. Now that we've talked a little bit about international, uh, why don't we come back and focus a little bit about here in the U.S. and some of the IPOs that have both come up and are coming up fairly soon vis a vis things like uh, Lyft? Uh, I think Levi's, of course, is uh, has an has an IPO that's open, and we're looking what the next couple of months uh, with regard to Uber as well. Uh, my last take on Lyft was that it wasn't doing quite as well as everybody was thinking it was going to do, at least as as we went to uh, went to show today. Uh, are you expecting the same sort of thing for Uber? And uh, what about Levi's? Yeah, we use Uber to go places. Uh, we use a software Slack to chat with coworkers. We use Pinterest. Save our favorite ideas, you know, leave highs and wear clothes. Um, you know, why not own a piece of these companies that are increasing, increasingly dominate our daily lives? The question most retail investors ask themselves when these these private stocks become available. It's tempted to buy stocks of companies whose products and services we see and use so often, but investing in what you know doesn't mean buying Uber or Levi's because you know you request a, a ride every other day or you wear their their product. It means knowing whether Uber will get enough customers at a high enough price to become profitable at, at what level. So I told my clients, don't jump in with both feet just because you use the product. You're not going to know the value of the stock yet. I remember when LinkedIn surged over 100% its first day. Um, I recently read a study from the University of Florida's uh, Warrington College of Business that showed IPOs have returned on average about 18% in the first day of trading, according to the data from roughly about 30 years. So while Lyft, Uber, and other upcoming IPOs are big names, many of them lose money, and it's a growing trend. You know, last year about eight of every ten companies going public were unprofitable, according to Ryder. Uh, that's the highest percentage since 2000, the height of the dot-com bubble. So to, to, be, to be sure, companies going public today tend to be more seasoned, which is good. You know, in 2008, since 2008, you know, the medium age for an IPO company has been at least 10 years. So what that means is that these companies are staying private a lot longer, keeping the books away from, from the Wall Street required public uh, um, supplying of information uh, through the federal files and leaving later as a more mature company. So, you know, I would say that post-IPO lock up in period uh, expirations. Uh, these dates allow insiders to sell stock for the first time. Uh, so important to find out what percent of the shares that have been subject to lockup agreements will be released and available for sale because what happens is that you usually have a big dump. A lot of people who've been, you know, venture capital, uh, early other investors are looking to exit because they've been in the private position for so long. And that usually dumps onto the public uh, markets, which can push prices down. And we saw that with Facebook uh, when they overscribed their IPO. Absolutely. All right, let's do this. We're going to break away and then we're going to have Christopher come back and give us some uh, closing statements here. So we'll be uh, right back after this. CityWatch on the Air, heard locally and worldwide on iHeartRadio.com, takes you through the ins and outs of business, exactly what your business needs to showcase your product or service. And we can do it for as little as $10 a week. 
If you don't believe me, text PROVE IT to 310-291-2790. That's PROVE IT to 310-291-2790. Okay, now we're coming back for a sum up, of course, with uh, Chris of uh, Lionshare Partners. And we've been talking about IPOs and the, I don't want to say pitfalls, I want to say things you have to be aware of when you're investing in things like Lyft and Uber and uh, Levi's and things like that. Uh, For the layperson who's just like tuned into the last couple of seconds, although nobody ever does that to our show, but for those who tuned in in the last couple of seconds, what's the standard rule that you adhere to with regard to these kinds of things? Well, I would say that investors are prone to two opposing but equally debilitating fears. The fear of missing out when times are good, and the fear of loss when markets evolve. Now, these two fears have a zero-sum relationship with rational decisions. The more you're dominated by these fears, the, the, the less rational you are. So what you can do as an investor, especially what we've seen what's going on with Lyft and what we've seen what's going on with the trade, uh, is move toward maximizing rationality. And there's one piece of advice to do that, turn off the TV. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Listen, uh, let's do this in the last couple of seconds here. Uh, Lionshare Partners, Christopher, those who want to get in touch with you should do what? Uh, they can contact me at, at, at chrisojackson.com uh, um, or they can reach out to me uh, myself, 323-219-0633. Thank you so much, sir. Uh, Chris Jackson, of course, of Lionshare Partners. We thank you so much for joining us, and I thank you for joining us and remind you to believe in yourself. If you don't, no one else will, and we will see you next time. 